This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator Heidi Heitkamp next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. They know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. 2017 weather extremes have caused tremendous hardship on North Dakota farmers and ranchers. As a member of the Senate Ag Committee, Democrat Heidi Heitkamp says it's not yet clear if the safety net provisions of the 2014 Farm Bill will be enough to protect producers in her state. I, I think the verdict is still out on the crop side. Obviously, we've been very concerned about the failure of a safety net for livestock. We're now in the process of accepting applications. One of the challenges that we have in North Dakota is that we're understaffed at the farm service agencies, and that's why I've been pushing Secretary Purdue to get a jump team back into uh, western North Dakota to help out with these applications. We've been monitoring it very closely. We know certain things that we want to include in a new farm bill, like reimbursement for transportation of livestock to get them to places where they can, in fact, graze, uh, reimbursement of the movement of hay as a secondary matter. Um, we need quicker response on opening up CRP and more CRP acres available. And so we've been doing a lot of kind of what do we need to do in the next farm bill given given the challenges, the weather challenges that we've had. But that this has been a double whammy for us because we have low commodity prices coupled with a drought. And I've told everyone this is truly a stress test for this farm bill. And we're going to learn a lot more after applications are in and after we find out where some of the, some of the, um, uh, some of the folks fall through the cracks. And so, um, we have already some ideas of what we want to do for a new farm bill, but I, I wouldn't say that, that the list is complete yet. So when we think about items for the farm bill, you and Senator Ernst have brought uh, a bill together that would make some amendments in the Art County program. Yep. This is based on ideas that uh, we've gathered as a result of the failure of these programs. And so one of the things that has really frustrated my farmers has been the data that's been used um, to, to make the calculations. Um, Farm Service Agency has used, um, we, we believe that the risk management uh, agency data is much more accurate than the NAS data, and so um, this would mandate the use of that. Um, we also believe that the state committees should be able to have jurisdiction to look at anomalies and see where, you know, that makes absolutely no sense. I don't care what the data is. That makes no sense. Give them the ability to actually um, uh, adjust yield data estimates 
um, to reduce uh, uh, variations with neighboring counties. And then one of the things that we worked very hard on, which we got um, USDA to agree, which is take a look at the county where you're actually growing the crops, not the county where you live. And, and the uh, USDA has already agreed to make that change. We want to make sure that that change is made permanently in the next Farm Bill and in moving forward. So thinking about the, the revenue coverage, when you were writing the 14 Farm Bill, we had come off several years of pretty good farm income. Yep. But now we're coming into a period of time where the Olympic average for an average revenue is not going to be that good. So how do you balance a program that maintains a safety net, although the Olympic average is way down, and does that not put more emphasis or uh, paying closer attention to maybe the PLC where the price is set? Well, one of the things that farmers would tell you is that they might have made a different choice now in hindsight between the PLC or the ARC County. And so I think they have now a different kind of uh, uh, evaluation to make on, on what they pick. What I think is interesting is that farmers who would have gotten a payment had they taken the alternative to our county basically now are getting more money at a time under our county getting more money than they would um, otherwise. And so I think our county works really well when things are bad, really bad. And I think when things are a little more marginal, you you might have made a different choice. And so I, these are these are um, choices that I think we want to maintain. Um, and what was ironic for me is I, I I went out after the 14 Farm Bill, and we talked about this issue, and and a lot of people said, "I wish you hadn't given us a choice because it's it's stressful having to make a choice." But I think the choice now, if we if we maintain it in the next Farm Bill, will be made um, based on history and and better information. And so I think when you look to the future, we know that low commodity prices are going to have a dramatic effect on the ability of people to stay on the farm. Um, I don't think we've had a real meaningful discussion right now in the committee on how we provide an increased safety net, but I know that we can't step backward. And, and when you look at the um, budget that recently passed, a 20% reduction in USDA could have a dramatic effect on crop insurance. We can't take a step backward on crop insurance. In fact, we should be talking exactly about the, about the issue that you've now raised, which is low commodity prices are making it very, very difficult for people to meet operating costs and to stay on the land. And, and the Farm Bill is designed to be a program that provides for food security in this country, and we need to uh, advance a farm bill that guarantees diversity in the number of producers that we have, um, because when the big gets bigger, um, we all lose in rural America, and I think we lose that diversity, but we also need to understand that this is in the national interest to have a farm program that uh, works for farmers and keeps them on the land. Let's talk about a timetable. What do you expect from Senator Roberts? Has he mentioned to you uh, a particular timetable for markup of the bill, or is this more being guided by the majority leader of the Senate? Oh, I think this is this is going to be um, uh, mandated and moved by Senator Roberts. I don't think this has quite reached a level where the majority leader would have input. Um, I think the the more important question is, 
are we going to see the House move forward or are we going to see the Senate move forward? And I think the prediction right now is that we're going to see something coming out of the House. And that's why I've been having extended in, uh, uh, conversations with Colin Peterson, who is, you know, really my neighbor. Um, I grew up in southeast North Dakota, and Colin's from just across the, across the river from us. And so um, that's a real advantage that we have in our region, that uh, Colin is the ranking member on agriculture. It makes a huge difference because he represents our region um, very well in promoting a farm bill. Um, Colin thinks that, that they really will be moving the farm bill uh, um, expeditiously in the in the house and that this will lead in the house. I think um, Debbie and Pat have a different idea. We'll see who gets there first. I'd love to see um, ongoing discussions and, and um, a bill draft by the end of the year. I wondered if there were not so many heavy lifting items that it might force the Senate to wait later. Well, it, you know, you've got tax reform and you've got this uh, budget impasse. We have uh, uh, flood insurance. We have um, disaster programs. I, you know, so there's a whole lot of things that line up. But the great thing about a farm bill is that it's not partisan. It's regional. And um, if we're looking for some bipartisan wins at the end of the year, this is a bipartisan win as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I, I would never um, rule out Pat and Debbie being able to get it done yet this year. But I think at this point, looking into the future, it's probably unlikely. Last week at this time, uh, Senator Ernst on the program said that she was not in favor of an expanded CRP. Now, you're talking about your neighbor, Ranking Member Peterson, who's talking about how to get more land in the Conservation Reserve program and thinks he can do it without spending any additional money. Senator, for your state, is is additional acres and CRP the right move? I think it is, actually. I think there's a lot of farmers who would like to have, again, that opportunity. And I think Colin's looking at uh, a number of changes to the program that will lift some of the restrictions and to, to make the CRP program work better for producers and more practical in terms of how it can be applied. But, you know, at, at this point, I think uh, I, it would be premature to rule out additional acres into CRP. I noted the chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, Chairman Conaway, suggested yeah. that no one asked for less money when we were talking about farm <laughs> programs, but yet there is a call for the FMD Vaccine Bank, and there are calls for additional research. If yeah. everything's status quo, how do you spend more money, or can you afford to spend more money on these? Uh, honestly, I, I, the, the, the two issues that I talk about repeatedly are export support programs, which... Um, Arguably, in the the executive budget, um, that the administration's budget, were basically zeroed out. That's exactly the wrong direction. And research, as we look at additional challenges, we can't reduce the research effort. And we, I think we should amp up the research effort. It's critical to food security. But I also think that as we look at what has made American agriculture the envy of the world, it's been our land-grant colleges and the research that we do. And to to um, to, to retreat on research is just not the right direction. And so export support and research are going to be among my top priorities because I think that they are foundational for recognizing the future of agriculture, both economically and um, uh, as, a, as a matter of production. 
In just a few days, we'll come up on the fifth round of renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement. And just a few days ago, uh, you took this issue to the trade representative and asking for some assurances. How do you see these NAFTA talks and what are the threats of the administration of, of just pulling out a NAFTA and pulling out a chorus? Well, that that would be disastrous, and I didn't just talk to Lighthizer. I actually also um, had a chance to speak with uh, with the Commerce Secretary, with Wilbur Ross, um, where I just because he had made some comments that I disagreed with, and I just wanted to impress upon him how critically important that uh, that trading uh, uh, agreement is to North Dakota and to the rest of agriculture. And I know that uh, Secretary Purdue is our greatest advocate, but they need to hear from people on the Hill that there will be a level of unhappiness if if we do anything more that results in damage um, of re- damaged relationships between us and our two greatest agricultural trading partners for North Dakota's interest, and that's Canada and Mexico. The president has talked about using bilateral trade agreements to replace what would have been uh, agreements under the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Would we have been better off with TPP? Um, You want my uh, informed opinion? The answer is yes. However, when I met with Lighthizer before um, the ambassador was confirmed, you know, he he made an impassioned uh, argument to me about bilaterals, and I said, "Well, you know, I sure hope you're right. We're gonna we're gonna measure your success based on whether you get an agreement, um, a bilateral agreement that's good for agriculture." And I've yet to see it. And so um, I'm very concerned about um, backing away from TPP, very concerned about that agreement going forward, very concerned about our trading partners looking to other markets, and that would be devastating for agriculture. And I think that you now see all the commodity groups, you see um, the, the trade groups, the agricultural trade group standing up saying, whoa, 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 do no harm. That was one of the founding principles for renegotiation of NAFTA. And if you uh, act unilaterally to withdraw from the agreement or even suggest you're going to withdraw from the agreement, that creates challenges for our trading partners and and challenges for us when we're trying to grow markets for what we grow into Mexico and Canada. One of the big items uh, that is ahead of both the House and the Senate is likely tax reform. What do you feel has to be changed in the current tax code to support agriculture, and what needs to be left alone? Well, interest deduction for farmers needs to be left alone. I'll put that kind of front row and center. You know, a lot of our farmers enjoy um, expensing already with 179, and so, you know, any kind of trade-off there, perceived trade-off there, needs to be um, wholly examined. We have, a, we have a really interesting situation in North Dakota. We don't allow uh, C-Corps to farm. So that, you know, any kind of C-Corp relief that would be given to farmers in other jurisdictions isn't available in North Dakota. And so we need to make sure that we're leveling the playing field. We need to make sure that, that we, again, do no harm, that, that we don't actually increase um, uh, costs for our farmers in these very precarious times. And so we're, we're reading through all of this with a fine-tooth comb. Um, one of the challenges that, that um, we have to confront is to take a look at um, – uh, estate tax removal. There's a lot of talk about eliminating the estate tax. If it's done 
at the expense of stepped-up basis, that's going to be a huge problem. We also have a problem with 199 as it relates to our, our, our co-ops. And so we're hearing from the farm groups now. We're continuing to have a dialogue. They all meet with uh, Gary Cohen. A number of Democrats are going over and having a discussion with him about tax reform. Um, we're going to take some of these um, challenges and some of these issues directly to him. As a follow on that same question, is it worth one and a half trillion dollars added to the debt to get tax reform? You know, um, a number of my colleagues are convinced that it will, in fact, promote growth. I continue to try and analyze at what point you will you will see uh, long-term sustainable growth as a result of um, of uh, tax reform. Um, I I, th- I think. That one of the, one of the challenges that we should all be addressing is what isn't working. And, and what's interesting is when I talk to people in North Dakota, you know what they say? They want something simpler. They want simplification. Nothing that I've seen so far has really led me to believe that we're headed towards simplification. And so um, one of the, the big moving factors for doing tax reform um, doesn't seem yet to be accomplished. And, and part of, partly when I say to um, uh, accountants in North Dakota who do farm returns, how can we make it simpler they kind of just shrug their shoulders because the business is complicated. And so, um, you know, it, it, what, makes a, what makes a tax code um, uh, complicated is not the rate structure. It's the definition of what constitutes taxable income. And that continues to vex and challenge uh, reformers um, across the board. So I, I think... If you ask people in North Dakota, are they more concerned with debt and deficit or more concerned with the, the tax code, I think that you probably see an increase, uh, a, a greater concern about debt and deficit, which doesn't mean that they wouldn't want tax reform. Do you think this administration is earnestly supporting renewable fuels? Um, I, I, I think the White House is, and I think that the administrator over at EPA has been drug into this kicking and screaming. And so we're going to have to watch this very, very closely. And and now you see the kind of backlash. You see the push coming from um, uh, from the industry, the uh, the oil industry, saying, look, this is the, the, you're moving the wrong direction. And they're really caught between two constituency groups that are fairly significant to this administration, and that's the oil industry and rural America. And the promise that uh, that EPA administrator gave me before I voted for him is that he was going to do no harm with the RFS. He came dangerously close to that line and backed away. We're going to watch this. I'm obviously grateful that we've been able to um, uh, readjust or, or right the ship, but, you know, we have to be very, very vigilant. Senator, enjoy so much the opportunity to visit with you. We want to thank you for spending time with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks to North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Hotcamp, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S., Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.